what I would say was when Bill and I were first married, I would have checked the box. I'm, I'm a good steward because I have gone through the Larry Burkett Crown Financial Program. We both agree, Bill and I, that uh, the biblical foundations are you uh, give 10% or more, save 10% or more, avoid debt when you can, and uh, live frugally. And I was like, okay, I've got that, check, good steward. And then we were, because we tithe, uh, I thought that's generosity, and, and it is, but I realized it was only the beginning of the journey he was taking me on. Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact on our communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Eric Most, president of the National Christian Foundation, Rocky Mountain Region, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Lori Bossert. Lori, how are you doing today? I'm great, Eric. Thanks. In today's episode, we have the privilege of introducing you to Dana Wichterman. Dana is a senior advisor with the Impact Foundation. Dana's calling is to build community around ideas. And the idea she is most excited about is impact investing that achieves multiple bottom lines, financial, economic, social, environmental, and spiritual. Dana has a master's degree in international economic development from Columbia University. For 20 years, she's worked um, for the U.S. Agency for International Development and the International Trade Administration, managing a large team and directing millions of dollars in foreign aid. In addition to co-founding the Washington, D.C. chapter of the Faith Driven Entrepreneur and Investor, Dana facilitates small groups for generous giving, faith-driven investor, and women doing well, and serves on Talenton, Noble Story Company, and Five Talents Boards. Dana lives in the greater Washington, D.C. area with her husband, Bill, and they have three grown children. Dana, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Dana, I would just like to have you start out and tell us a little bit about yourself. Give our listeners an introduction to you and your story yeah, sure. I grew up in Colorado, so some of your listeners may um, be interested in that. And I have a deep love for the state of Colorado and for the West. Um, and some of my favorite memories of growing up are horseback riding along the Highline Canal for hours when I was a kid, exploring in just beautiful uh, areas. And, uh, and also taught uh, skiing at the Winter Park uh, Handicap Program. And I taught blind people how to ski. So uh, that was a really, really great experience. Um, and learning to be generous with my uh, time. And because I, I actually ha remember the first time I was terrified of what God was having, who God was having me teach to ski. I was like, Lord, please, no, not that one. He's, he's, the, he's the, the hardest one. And who did I get? That one, Richard, which then became, he was actually so handicapped that we had two of us um, helping him. But it became a beautiful relationship. I've known him for years and uh, really, really a great experience. How wonderful. I love horseback riding here in Colorado. I don't get to do it very often, but it just feels so natural. And to be able to get farther out in the wilderness is just beautiful. Yeah. How did you and Bill meet? We met at church uh, and I had just come back from one year of grad school in India, and he had just come back from being a missionary to Turkish guest workers in Germany. So he was learning Turkish and, and you know, having his missionary experience with OM. Uh, so we both were in countries where women were not supposed to look at men in the eyes. 
So we came back, men at church, and we're both trying to have conversations without looking at each other in the eyes and realizing, wait, this is a different culture. We can look at each other. And uh, yeah, just uh, met uh, when I had first come to D.C. and um, got married two years later and have stayed in D.C. all along. That's awesome. Dana, we first met at a generous giving event a few years back, and our paths have crossed multiple times since. Uh, on the Generosity Now podcast, we talk a lot about generosity and whole life stewardship. Would you share a bit of your own journey as it relates to generosity and stewardship? Sure. So I think that generosity is one of the gateways that God has used to help me become more like Christ. And I know he can use all kinds of gateways, but I do believe that was the one he's, when I look back over my life, that he has used the most. And what I would say was when Bill and I were first married, I would have checked the box. I'm, I'm a good steward because I have gone through the Larry Burkett Crown Financial Program. We both agree, Bill and I, that uh, the biblical foundations are you uh, give 10% or more, save 10% or more, avoid debt when you can, and uh, live frugally. And I was like, okay, I've got that. Check. Good steward. And then we were, because we tithe, uh, I thought that's generosity, and and it is, but I realized it was only the beginning of the journey he was taking me on. Um, and what I also realized is that you all talk about whole life stewardship, that there were all kinds of other areas besides money that you need to steward and um, manage and, and be generous. And Bill and I have always been really generous with our time, so that's one area where we don't struggle. Um, he, my husband, is extremely generous, um, at, I would say almost to a fault, where I had to <laughs> read him in sometimes. Um, but um, there were, uh, when we, so when we first um, got married, we, we had that, um, that framework. Then he had heard the story of Laterno, a guy who had done a graduated tithe and increased his giving by 1% every year until he got to 99% or something. And my husband had this great, joyful grin on his face, and he said, wouldn't this be the most wonderful thing to, to lean into? And in my heart, I'm thinking, I'm calculating how long I should live before I need to die if we do this, because that's going to be living in abject poverty. And, you know, so my scarcity mentality just kicked in right away. So that, that was really my heart was like, what? <laughs> you know? And um, as the Holy Spirit does, he introduces you to things and you kind of works on you. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm not sure I, about the 99% thing, but well, let's talk once a year and see if we can increase um, by 1%. But I reserve the right to both go back to the 10% if I feel like we need to and, um, you know, change it around. So, and he's, a, Bill's always been really gracious about that. So what happened was we started um, learning that there is a different way to be generous where you don't have to even, at first we thought in terms of percentages, but then it was more in terms of lifestyle choices and, um, and things we could do with those, with that extra tithe. And so I'll tell you another inflection point in terms of where God taught me to be generous. Um, my dad had run a foundation, the Buell Foundation in Colorado. And so growing up, I thought, that is the f most fun job anyone could ever have. It's like a fairy godmother. You get to go around and make people's dreams come true and have impact. Um, and you have an endowment that keeps growing um, 
resources so that you have a the goose that lays the golden egg, you can keep being generous. Uh, so when um, I was researching all that and learning how to do that in my job at AID, because I was looking at the Ford Foundation and how they use their endowment also f not only doing well, but doing good. I, I came home to Bill and I said, how about we set up one? It'll be a play, like a kid's play foundation. We'll put aside the... Um, 1% of our tithe in a checking account. We'll call it God's fund and I'll try to grow it. It'll take years because we had a very tight budget, but we'll try to go the, grow that to $10,000. Once we've hit $10,000, we will then um, whatever interest or income comes in, we as a family will determine where that money goes. And um, so we decided to do that and we made jokes about how if we touch that checking account that calls God's fund and we touch it for anything other than giving. Uh, may God strike us with lightning, those kind of, you know, jokes that we, we Bill and I have a, a sense of humor that way. Um, and so it grew over the years two ways. One, uh, because we lived uh, the crown financial principles and worked hard, we were able to grow our um, income, but we were also had a inheritance from my father that really brought us into thinking, oh, wealth can be dangerous. We need to seek counsel. People right away told us we need to go to Generous Giving and some other uh, of the generosity community. Um, and so that's really what seeded our foundation to become less of a fake foundation, which is what my kids called it, to a real foundation. Hmm. And this is where NCF comes in. National Christian Foundation was the first uh, institution we heard of to say that is where you need to move your foundation. So we never had to set up a real foundation. We set it right up under NCF and have learned wonderful community, all the tools, all the techniques that you need to know to be in a more effective giver and a more joyful giver. Dana, that story is just amazing. And I know I relate to some of it because we do, I think, also in our journey, and I think you touched upon this, is as we grow as individuals and even just get older in time, we do experience different pieces of that generosity story. And that joy that we have from giving actually grows our desire and it grows our closeness with God. Um, you talked a lot about the generosity side. Did you see your faith growing in that same space a lot? Yes, because I feel that I had to wrestle with God each time I was challenged by new ways to be generous because he would reveal new parts of my heart that I was, I was acting out of duty and obedience, which is your first step. But the real step is to get to where it's um, natural. It's a part of your, your um, DNA and you actually enjoy obe obeying the Lord. And I would have to say that there's been times it's taken two years to seven years in some of these areas uh, where I look back and see the Lord really working on me. And I can say that at first, there was a lot of grumbling in my heart and a lot of, mm, okay, we'll do this, you know, and then moving to where, wow, why did I ever think that was hard? And now his burden is easy and light and it is joyful um, and it makes sense, whereas before it didn't quite make sense. I'm right there with you, sister. I <laughs> identify with all of that. 
Yeah, you mentioned earlier that there have been multiple significant inflection points in your journey that created the significant growth. You know, um, you've, you talked about the impact of, you know, generous giving and, and, and that help in your journey. I'm wondering if you'd flesh out any more of this significant inflection points. I, I, listeners really, really, I think, appreciate and grow from the, when they hear from other stories as well. Yeah, well, I would say... Again, one the main inflection point was when we um, got the inheritance from my father, and we I felt destabilized. My husband just felt joyful, and I felt like, uh, okay, what do we do now? Um, how do we live? What choices do we make? Um, and it was in community, in the NCF, Generous Giving, and those groups that I learned how to navigate this in a way that wouldn't spoil our kids, that would not spoil us, because I think God... Uh, warned so much of the dangers of um, idolizing wealth. And I've always been concerned about the materialism in the West and in Western Christianity. And um, so really have been around in this generosity community, have really been around people who have walked it out. They're way more mature than me. They're way more creative. Basically everything I do, I just copy someone else. Um, And I just love it because there's, I see people co-creating with God, living out their purpose and their calling and those works that, you know, in Ephesians said, those good works that God set out for us to do before we're even born. And I see people living into those so joyfully, so much fun, so relationally uh, with their resources, time, talent, treasure, ties, testimony, everything. I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And I, your involvement, though, is also with impact investing. Can you dig into that a little bit and how you got involved and started down that road of impact investing in that stewardship place? Sure. Well, that would be another inflection point um, because about six, seven years ago, the Lord challenged me and said, you know, there's a whole other pocket that you haven't turned over to me, and it's your investment portfolio. And I was living under, didn't know it at the time, but I was living under the two pocket mentality that we call now where you make as much over in one pocket, your investment portfolio, so that you can give enough away, you know, give more away in your charitable um, bucket. And through, um, again, through this community, I learned that the Lord wants it all and he wants to have, he's the best steward, the best manager, the best boss, and he really needs to be um, consulted and um, over our investment portfolio. Both our endowment within National Christian Foundation, but also our um, personal finances. For the first year that I was, again, my husband was all ready to, let's get a financial kingdom advisor and let's go for it. And I'm like, "Mm, I think I can figure this out on my own. And no, and I kind of did the Jonah thing. Like, yeah, I'm gonna run away from this. Um, then we got the financial advisor. I said, okay, I'll just listen. But I, you know, and I was like, hmm, that cognitively makes sense that, um, and then it, it started to, the Holy Spirit again worked on me to where it's like, hmm, that really makes sense. We, we do not want any ill-gotten gain at all. In fact, what would God, why would God want me to offer charity to, you know, charitable money to him that was ill-gotten? No, that doesn't make sense. So 
through that, we have been going through now our entire portfolio, making it at least with the negative screens, screen out what the Lord is would not be honored by. And then even more exciting, putting the positive screens in. What kind of um, investments might God um, love to see? What kind of flourishing can these businesses that we're investing in contribute to the world? What kind of shalom? Um, and so that's how I was introduced to impact uh, investing. And your sister organization, Impact Foundation, with Amy Minnick and Jeff Johns, um, I started with them just this year and have loved being an advocate for, uh, particularly for women, to get involved in impact investing as a way to live out joyfully and um, intentionally their calling with all of their resources. That's great. We um, uh, we we've t- we talk a decent amount about impact investing here on the Generosity Now podcast. If you are just joining in and you're not very familiar with it, one we did a podcast. I think it was in the early early numbers, four or five, uh, on what is impact investing. But but Dana would love to even hear just from your own voice. Um, would you give it just a description of impact investing, and um, and then would love to hear. You know, there are um, through Impact Foundation. What are just some projects or things that you're really encouraged by, or, or some stories where people can start maybe putting some. Um, some meat on the bones as it relates to, okay, I hear, I've hear i been hearing more about Impact Foundation, but like, what could these be and what could they look like? Mm, yes. So for me, impact investing is using your, well, there's two ways. You can use your charitable capital through Impact Foundation to set up your own donor advised fund. And instead of investing in a charity, you're investing in a transformational business that has multiple bottom lines. Uh, you can have spiritual impact, economic impact, social, environmental, um, and you're doing it with equity or debt. So it's as if you're you're uh, creating that recyclable capital because when those companies can pay you back their debt or, or they have an exit and you have equity, it goes back into your donor advised fund and you get to redeploy it again. Um, and so, I really see NCF and Impact Foundation as um, just all part of the ecosystem of harmonizing how you do your charitable impact work and your kingdom kingdom work, really. Um, the but we also do impact investing out of our personal capital as well. Uh, it'll, it'll have a little bit different risk uh, reward profile, um, but really trying to turn over even that mentality to the Lord of uh, what are wise stewardship pr- principles all along the way of market rate return, concessional return um, to straight donations and charity. And it's all now thinking about harmonizing that. I was going to say some examples of um, impact investing that have been really joyful. One is through a fund in Africa called Talenton. And they are trying to do something that I think my work at USAID was never able to really achieve, which is poverty alleviation through market-based approaches. And so what they are trying to prove is that, and show is that if you invest capital in the right companies in Africa, they can grow, they can change, they can contribute to flourishing in in their country in a sustainable way so that over time, they'll draw others into that ecosystem and you can actually transform 
cities and nations through this approach, uh, through poverty alleviation. Um, so that's one example. There's, um, in fact, come to our um, uh, website. We've got all kinds of examples on our um, website of people really aligning their values with their charitable capital. That's great. Yeah, we uh, definitely big fans of Talatin. Uh, John Halverson recorded uh, right here down in the basement of Lori's um, a little while ago, and we'll be we'll be uh, getting his published in the in the new year as well. And so, um, uh, good big fans there. I also love how at uh, through the Impact Foundation, you can also make more like direct investments. So that was like more of a pooled um, fund kind of option. But then there's also like direct investments that you're able to make um, using your charitable capital. And so, uh, and those they, they are varied. There's there's coffee companies. There's there's coffee shops. There's um, movies. There's Christian movies. There's the Chosen. All of these are are different avenues that folks are able to use their charitable capital and their private capital, uh, personal capital to make investments in uh, these organizations. Yes. And one that we made direct investment in was called Noble Story Co. And we, uh, two guys that launched a company to really try to bring good, true and beautiful entertainment um, into the culture in a way that is, I would say, faith adjacent, not faith based. Um, and there's plenty of um, TV and movies that are being produced for the faith-based community, and they're getting better. But we need to also battle it out in those um, faith-adjacent um, sides. And so when I met um, Adam and Andrew uh, through the Lion's Den, uh, they were raising capital for their startup. And so I used my impact account, invested equity into their company. Uh, then later on, uh, when they needed debt, I also used my impact account to uh, do a, we, we negotiated the interest rate. And um, so they, so I have both equity and debt in that company through my impact account. Um, but what was really beautiful is they asked me to be on their advisory board and they asked me to be their spiritual integration officer. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I said, okay, let's figure that out. So through the NCF community, I call people and say, well, what do you, how do you do this? How do you advise your companies to integrate spiritual principles uh, throughout the entire um, uh, business, uh, not just in their hearts, but in their legal documents and how they treat employees, how they treat the suppliers. Um, so that's been a really beautiful experience. What an honor to be asked to, to have that position in this organization. Um, and what a privilege it is that you get to mentor in that board role. You're very involved in a lot of things, Dana, and I love the leadership and all of the things that you um, do. What other things um, are you involved with today? Sure. And so I left USAID about 20 years ago. Um, but I'm still, my heart is still in poverty alleviation around the globe. Um, and I really believe now that it's going to be the marketplace where God is going to be, um, and his spirit is really going to be moving people to be, uh, 24 seven, uh, believers, uh, in the marketplace. And Jesus did a lot of his miracles in the marketplace. And I think he will continue to do a lot of those miracles in the marketplace. And I see that happening in the faith-driven entrepreneur, faith-driven investor community. And I see these people 
aligning their calling, their work with God's heart for his glory, for the good of others, and for their good, because they need um, an income, and there's nothing wrong with uh, making an income, um, a good income. And they're doing it in a way that um, faith-driven investors can come alongside them. So kind of the builder and the backer, that a friend Donna Harris says, that you have these these co-creators with God, which are the entrepreneurs, that are taking so much of the risk. And then you have the uh, the funders, the the build the the backers that you can, as an investor, come alongside uh, these folks that are being so creative all around the globe. And so that I would say is one of my truest joys is to see this movement of faith driven entrepreneurs and investors being built out. So we started a local community in the D.C. area. Uh, we meet uh, six times a year. We bring in faith-driven um, entrepreneurs to showcase what they're doing, and we think through how, what are the marks, what are the ways that you can live out in a Christ-like way um, how to manage your capital when you're doing this kind of entrepreneurial investment journey. Uh, yeah, and then just serving on uh, several boards of, like I said, Noble Story, I also serve on... Um, Talenton's board, but then I get a deeper insight into how this co-creating with God and solving global problems in God's way uh, with both the means and the ends, I get a deeper, uh, richer sidecar to be a part of all that. You know, it's it's interesting. I um, I don't think I've, I've thought through this yet enough uh, until just listening to you, but it's really neat that through impact investing and having faith-driven investing as a focus of what you're doing now, you're also much more aligned with the organizations that you're actually invested in. So previously, I even think about in my own portfolio, I'm not connected to many of the companies that we're invested in. But but here you're you're you you've been asked to come in and be um uh to 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 lead in the spiritual formation of this organization and to to be on the board of this organization and you intimately know the stories of the investments and the impact that you're making. And so when we think about that whole life stewardship, as we kind of rift off of um, the the acronym life, your labor, your influence, your finances, your expertise, you're able to integrate all of those things when you when you when you've kind of gone all in in focusing on this uh, faith driven investing kind of world. So I think it's really beautiful. Thank you. I just find so much joy in that. It's more holistic. And I get to feel like I'm a part of it because God didn't make me an entrepreneur um, and that's okay. And he didn't even make me that creative, but he, he allows me to be along, come alongside creatives and be a part of their work. I'm right there with you, Dana. I often, I'm like, I'm not the entrepreneur side. My partner here, Eric, is a great entrepreneur. He's wonderful. And I just see those, you know, God created us to differently. And we have the, just like you said, we can still be involved but we and we don't all want to be the same purpose, and we get to do different parts of the puzzle in in building these different organizations and the impact investing and being involved in that is just I love it. I came from a large large charity, and I love the seeing this different where we can Im, give people the opportunity to have those jobs to be able to build their businesses and and help that poverty alleviation in such a different way than just giving handouts. And I just think it's a beautiful way that we as believers 
have really progressed in this place of really being involved. I agree. And in fact, I see Compassion International, your former organization, as doing that. They are not only working with children, which I love. We've had several Compassion children over the years. But they are working with um, then faith-driven invest, or sorry, entrepreneurs, and helping uh, kids that have have graduated out of the program to then find a footing in business um, and earn their own income. So it's not only a handout, but a hand up. Dana, I actually just came back from one of the countries that Compassion worked in, had a privilege of attending a wedding there and got to meet four individuals that had gone through the Compassion program as children and also their leadership development program. And all four of these individuals are strong business owners. One works in government. And to see them and experience what they're doing today from all of this, they are helping their country in great ways. And it was just, it's fun to be able to also rejoice and to see the way that God is using them. Adina, earlier you mentioned um, that uh, you, you've learned a lot from others, uh, and and you actually are helping our listeners and helping us here as we learn. But um, I wonder if you'd share some like helpful resources that you've had along your journey, um, organizations, books, podcasts, different things like that. What are, are there any that jump out that you'd say, hey, dig in with this? Oh yes, certainly. I get the weekly digest from National Christian Foundation, and I love it. Uh, Bill and I read it and then say, oh, what about that? Or, so we get all kinds of ideas from that. So it's curated both stories and you have a great library and of resources. So I've utilized that quite often. Um, the Faith Driven Entrepreneur and Investor website has so many, uh, so much content you couldn't even get through it all. The podcasts are phenomenal. Uh, the, I've been through many small groups. Uh, mostly on Zoom, some in person, but those are terrific because then you can meet like-minded people and actually talk through the content and, 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 and struggling with how, how to do this well. Um, I would recommend the Generous Giving website. And again, their videos uh, are tremendous and going through a jog, which is a journey of generosity. Um, so those can be done in person or online and are um, I would say that was also an inflection point of going through um, a jog, which really helped uh, Bill and I, again, because I think you have to talk about this a lot to make sure you're on the same page. And we haven't always been on the same page. Um, and there are some things he gets more excited about than I do. There's core things that we've grown together and we're excited about giving or inve investing in those. But then there's the side pockets where he's invest he's excited about, I'm not. So we kind of have a little bit of um, a portion of, of all of that that we leave to each other and say, okay, that's, you know, you have a budget there. We, we budget everything. Um, <laughs> so, um, and the other thing I would say I would learn, have learned is that partly because most of the way I have started with generosity is to feel guilty and, you know, kind of, okay, live into the shoulds because this is what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, um, is that everybody's generosity journey looks different. Yours does not have to look like someone else's. And you can say no to things. If your name is not on it, if you've prayed about it and the Lord has shown you where your calling is, you can say no. You should say it gracefully and kindly. 
And I've had to learn that. I used to kind of ghost people when they'd ask because I'm like, oh, I feel guilty saying no. And it's like, no, no, do it in a God-honoring way. Um, but uh, we all get compassion fatigue now. 24-7 news shows us every pocket of every suffering around the world. And people need to know that Jesus is the Savior, not us. And we're supposed to just come alongside and do the good works that he has determined for us to do. Um, so your yes is godly, but your no is godly. That's a great word. And I think a lot of us really need to have that permission. Um, and I think it's really important that we can really encourage each other in that space. I was going to say also another learning I've had is um, that it takes time. So I hear people saying, I started out joyfully. As soon as I was generous, I was joyful. I'm like, yeah, that wasn't my experience. It has been Bill's, but not mine. And so I felt guilty again, you know, <laughs> what's wrong with me? And what I've seen now is that um, it took time. And as I obeyed and lived into it and developed kind of the exercise muscles, the, the generosity habits and muscles, then the joy came. So I would say for, for those of you who are feeling guilty by not feeling the joy that you're, quote, supposed to be feeling when you're generous, just wait. It will come. Um, and then it'll come in fury and beauty. And I actually feel like I'm now in an enchanted garden where it's everywhere I, I look. It's beautiful. It's fun. There's wonderful plants and um people and it's like a playground but that was not how it started so dana we talk a lot about generosity stories and different things here why are you convicted that it's important for us to share those stories well i think it's part of our testimony and i think christians too often only want to tell about how horrible they were and now here you know here's where they are now um, but they are very reticent to share about how God has transformed them into be more Christ-like because it looks boastful. And what I would say is if you're giving God the glory and the honor in your heart and in your words, you need to tell those stories because it is the way that people learn how to do it better. Um, and it draws people in. It's an invitation and I have to say, probably everyone that's invited on this podcast feels like, mm, this looks a little showy. I shouldn't do this. And that's okay. That's right. We should be checking our heart. But if, if God owns it all and it's not really ours anyway, then why shouldn't we be telling these stories of how he's transforming us um, in, you know, more like Christ? And so this is where Bill and I have gotten most of our inspiration is from people on your podcast, people in uh, the NCF community. And we couldn't have done it without all of them telling their stories. So yeah. I think it's part of our witness. And so good. Yeah, the stewardship of story is is vitally important. And um, uh, I'm, I am grateful for folks like you who, who share their story. Um, uh, I've grown significantly uh, through the stewardship of story. And as you say, as we're not pointing it to puff ourselves up, um, but it's to point to the to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, uh, we say yes and amen. So thank you. I really appreciate that because 
I want to be more sanctified every day. And I do learn from others that are willing to be that vulnerable with me. So I really do appreciate that. So we often talk in the Christian community about how we look different than non-believers. And so it's the whole thing of what is worldly, what is not. Um, And I think generosity is one of those gateway virtues that can help you be um, less worldly and more like Christ, as we've said before. And it's because we, with our generosity, we get to show people what we're for rather than what we're against. Um, Again, so often, you know, part of our faith is um, denying and and stepping away from what is not God-honoring. But in generosity, you get to step towards what is God-honoring. And I do believe that is one way you shine the light on the gospel and become less worldly. And one of the pastors, I think I've shared this before, uh, I heard him say, like, live in such a way that uh, it demands an explanation. And uh, and I think that, th- that you hit the nail on the head, you know, through our generosity, it does, it demands an explanation. Why, why, why would you do that? Why would you be so generous? Why would you, why would you give me that? Or why would you support the hat? Um, it's, like you could go buy a bigger house if you didn't do that, right? Like, and so living in such a way that it demands an explanation, I think, is a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing for sure. So another way that God, another inflection point that God told me along my generosity journey was that I was now doing better with my finances, but I wasn't doing well with my possessions or my home. Uh, I believed that I was supposed to be hospitable and I acted in hospitality, but usually grudgingly, usually, again, um, had trouble when people would use our things and break or scratch or, you know, furniture would get stressed, uh, whatever. And there was one time when we were having a huge um, event and huge scratch, just like a terrible scratch in our wood floor. And the only thing I could think of was, oh, you know, the, and the Lord, this is totally from the Lord, because this is not how I think. He said, I want you to see that as a love scar. Mm-hmm. And I want you to reframe any damage that happens to your possessions because of generosity as love happens here. And it was just a really beautiful way for the Lord to say, you know, stewardship doesn't always mean managing your resources so that they don't get damaged, which, you know, of course makes sense. But what about managing your resources so that people get loved? And when people get loved, the world is messy. There's going to be brokenness, uh, scratches, uh, scars that you're going to come away with, but you can reframe those as beautiful scars, kind of like the scars of on Christ's hands and feet. Mm. And again, that was Holy Spirit. Totally. I, I don't think that way. I love that. Um, And I probably have a little bit different approach, Dana. um, From some stories in my life, one of the things that makes me feel most loved is actually when people come into my home and just do things in our home. So I love inviting people in. Um, There's a reason, you know, in my story of why that is the case, but it is one of the ways that I feel most loved is being able to open our home to others. 
you're uh, you're get, you're going to laugh. I think at when we uh, when we do our closing doxology here that I kind of thought up uh, late last night as we were praying over how we're going to close this out. And so we'll get there in just one second, but it so coincides. But Dana, we thank you so much for your time uh, and your expertise, your wisdom, um, and that and that you shared with us and uh, the generosity now um, uh, listeners. So on the Generosity Now podcast, we do seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For more information on us, please check us out at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains and generositynow.org. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share with your network. And today's doxology, I think lands so well, is Matthew 13, 44. In the parable of the hidden treasure, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Thank you and amen. Amen. Dana, thanks so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Quite an honor. Thank you.